We're going to be speaking about peace in a troubled world. This is, in many ways, a part two uh, to the sermon I preached two weeks ago on uh, the beginning part of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. But right now, as we are meeting, there's a rescue operation going on. Uh, I heard somebody this morning come running up to me and just tell me the news, and I've been following this somewhat closely because it's, it's fascinating, uh, heartbreaking, but there was a, a team, a soccer team in, in Thailand that have been missing. They've been trapped in a cave for 15 days. Have you been watching this? Uh, for nine days, nobody knew where they were. They knew they were in the cave system, but they didn't know where, and they didn't know if they were alive. So they were trapped for nine days before a a diver was able to reach them. The cave system has flooded. They are in an air pocket way deep inside of it. Uh, Multiple stages of the cave along the way are completely flooded, can only be reached by well-trained divers. In fact, yesterday, one of the divers died. One of the divers uh, perished, I believe, on his way back. It takes six hours for the divers to get to the boys. That's how far in they are. Uh, and it's very difficult. They, obviously, it's pitch black. It's muddy. There's very, very confined spaces. I'm no scuba diver, but those are, I think, the worst possible conditions for scuba diving. So getting the boys out and the coach out is going to require quite a feat And just yesterday, they made the decision that conditions are going to be worsening very quickly. And and so they have a small window of opportunity. They need to move now. They were actually looking at plans of possibly leaving them in there for another couple weeks as they worked on some other way to get them out because they're not sure that the boys will survive the trip out of the cave. That's how dangerous it is. Many of these boys, obviously, all of the boys don't know how to scuba dive. Most of them don't know how to swim. And and they're going to have to scuba dive out of the cave. So that's the rescue situation that is going on. It's a desperate situation. As you can imagine, as a parent, I put myself in those shoes and just thinking, what if those were, were my kids? What if it was you in the cave? What if it was me in the cave? What would we be thinking trapped in the cave? What would we be thinking if it was our loved ones in the cave? Very desperate situation, and the world is watching to see what is going on. While this situation is going on, there's, there's another even larger rescue operation underway. You see, uh, a while ago, a man and a woman decided to just seek their own happiness and defy their creator and to trap all of humanity in sin and death. And since that day, all of us have been born into a situation where we are trapped, we are desperate, we are lost, and God has been doing a rescue operation. He established contact, built a relationship with a man named Abraham and his offspring, reestablished that relationship of trust. He sent his own son into our desperate desperate situation. To make a way out. A way out that could only come at the cost of his life. 
And today, as, as we're speaking, this rescue operation continues. There's this ragtag, mostly unqualified group of individuals totally uh, thinking they're not up to the call, wondering what in the world God is doing, and yet this is who God is working with. We call that group the church. And, and that group is now the rescuers. The rescued have been the ones going into the desperate situation and rescuing others. And as difficult as this rescue operation is, this group of rescuers, the church, you and I, if you are saved by Jesus Christ, we are are never alone. God is always with us, present with us, bringing up these troubling situations so that our outlook, our actions in life, our relationship with one another and our proclamation of the truth to this world can rescue others. And I put these two pictures side by side because I think on the one hand, I hope we are moved by the situation in Thailand. I, I hope so. How much more so to be moved by the situation in our world and our role in it? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Not only our participation in that rescue, to have a better understanding of how much and from what we have been rescued so that when we go through those, those troubling situations, when we're navigating those muddy waters in our own life, just sometimes trying to survive on our own, let alone rescue others, so that we can have peace as well. Now, as we pick up the story in John 14, the disciples are troubled. They're they're kind of freaking out. Jesus has made it clear he's going away. Now, we understand this side of the cross. He means he's going to the cross. He's even told them he's coming back. He's, He's going to be raised from the dead. We know that. It's easy, I think, removed from the situation to to almost want to grab the disciples and say, hey man, cool it, everything's going to be okay. But put yourself in their shoes. Their life, for the past three years of their life, their life has been following Jesus, doing what he does, listening to every word that he says. And now, their rabbi, their leader, is saying he's going away. Now understand that if you're a disciple in that culture, when your rabbi goes away, your job is to carry on what the rabbi did. You are to teach what the rabbi taught. You're to do what the rabbi did. Minor problem. It's pretty clear by this time in the Gospels, they really don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about most of the time. They're freaking out because they're going, how are we supposed to continue this? How are we supposed to teach people these things if you're going away and we don't even know half the stuff that you're saying? And they're obviously very troubled. And it's into this situation in John chapter 14, verse 1, going back to the sermon from two weeks ago, Jesus introduces this section by saying to his disciples, this this is a very intimate, personal conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. And we talked about that two weeks ago. But now turn to John 14, verse 27, where Jesus says, and and here's how you know that this is what this chapter is all about, because we have kind of these bookends here. Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's what this chapter is about. Everything in this chapter is about God's way of giving us a meaningful and lasting peace in a troubled world and in especially in troubled situations. Jesus is giving them in this chapter that I see three things to bring peace. Their own relationship with God, God's presence with them, and a faith that is is fueled by the truth and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's look first at the reading relationship of peace. And, and actually, before we get to that, I'm going to be jumping around in this passage. So what I want to do is read the whole passage and just set it before us. And then we will be going through it thematically. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, now, let us leave. So I want to start by looking at the reassuring relationship of peace. The reassuring relationship of peace. The the first foundational aspect of peace that Jesus talks about in this passage is the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. This is the bedrock of our peace. It must be the foundation of our peace. Now what does this look like? He introduces it right there in the first phrase of verse 15, if you love me. And I want to stop there. If you love me, John emphasizes love over and over again throughout this gospel, in his letters. He talks about God's love for us, our love for God, our love for each other. 
having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not about a list of rules. It is about a relationship of love. It's us responding to God's love by loving him. And we'll talk about what love means in a moment, but we need to understand it must start with love. Look at the evidence of Christ's love in this passage. Verse 16, we have God the Father and God the Son working together to send God the Spirit to be with his people. That's relationship, a loving relationship. Verse 18, Christ says he won't leave the disciples or us as orphans. He says, I I, I know this is going to be hard, but I'm not leaving you alone. I, I love you, and I hope those words can ring in our heads when we're in desperate situations. God loves us. We should be amazed that God loves us. We need to focus on his love for us and then constantly think about, do I love God? Am I trusting him? Am I cherishing what he's given me through his son, Jesus Christ? Am I really focusing on, in every day of my life, showing love to my creator? Or am I just going my own way, doing my own thing, for my own purposes? Do we love God? So, so the first part of this comes from knowing we have this relationship is love. But there is this other part. Look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Here he's talking about obedience. There's a condition, if you love me, and it will lead to an inevitable outcome. This must follow. If A is true, B will be true, right? Classic logic there. So here it is. What's the B that must be true if A is true, that we love God? The the second part that must be true is you will keep my commands. Now you might be thinking, how is this reassuring? I mean, isn't it just, just another guilt trip to beat us up? Jesus is saying here to his disciples, their obedience to him is part of their reassurance of the peace they have in him. Because when we see our obedience, we know we are loving God. Don't mix those up. Christians throughout the centuries have swapped those two. If you obey God, well then you must be loving God. What Christ is saying is, if you love me, that will lead to obedience. Love, by its very nature, must always lead to obedience. Because love puts the other first, says, God, you are God and I am not. Love trusts the other. God, you are in control. What you say goes. And therefore, obedience is the necessary outcome. So how do you know? How can you evaluate whether you love God? You might say, well, I I feel like I love God. I I think I love God. I remember praying a prayer a long time ago that I, I said I loved God. How do you know that you love God? Look at your life. Are you obeying? Is there a spark? I'm not saying perfectly. Please understand that. That's where grace comes in. Do you want to obey God? Are you obeying him more now than you were a couple years ago? That's an assurance to be able to look at those things and say, God is at work. 
Because you wouldn't be obeying God if he wasn't at work in you. And so for his apostles, for his disciples to look at their life and say, I am obeying God. It is evidence that I do love God. Therefore, I can have peace. Look at verses 23 to 24. It talks about our love leads to obedience. It says that if we don't love God, that will lead to not obeying God. Now, notice there, Jesus is saying something very important. The world is divided into two groups. Those who love God and those who do not. Those who love God are saved and obey. Those who do not love God are not saved and therefore do not obey. This is crucial in this passage to understand that the peace that God is giving, the peace that Christ is giving to us, is not through better steps to take in your life to have a happier mindset. It is through being saved through Jesus Christ in a loving relationship with him that shows itself in your life. Obedience is the evidence of our loving relationship with Christ. John Piper says it this way, In short, loving Jesus is not a matter of doing excellent things. It is a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. Jesus says doing excellent things, keeping his word, is the result of delighting in the excellent Savior. It's the loving relationship that saves us, that brings us peace. But the obedience in our life is the evidence that that peace is there. And so he's going away, but he's telling his followers, you can have peace because of your loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you can have an assurance of that peace. And by that, I mean a confidence in it because of their obedience. Now, somebody might say, well, what if I'm not obedient? Does does that mean I'm not saved? I will say this. If your life is lived in general, in disobedience to God. You cannot have confidence of your salvation. Whether you're saved or not, I don't know because I'm not God. But I think there are Christians today, especially, that are walking around going, I'm saved because I prayed a prayer. And you look at their life and you think, you're not living in a loving relationship with God whatsoever. There's no obedience in your life at all. How can there be any confidence Of your salvation. I think equally there are other Christians walking around. They love God. And they're trying to live that out in their life. But they've somehow absorbed. I think this Christian culture at times of just guilt. And oppression. And beating people up. And and they're constantly walking around. Oh I'm just a horrible person. And you're looking at them going. Man you're. I see you following Christ. I see you growing. No, no, I'm a horrible person. Those people need to step back and say, God's at work. I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. Even Paul. I mean, man, if anybody was like, way up there, it's Paul, right? And yet he says, I'm not there yet. Guys, we all have a long way to go. But let's give God credit for how far he has brought us. And so he starts with this relationship that we have. If you want peace in this world, nothing, and I mean nothing, will give you peace like the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. 
Not only do we have this reassuring relationship of peace, but we have the powerful presence of peace in our lives. Look at verses 16 to 21. He says, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Remember, Jesus is saying he's leaving them, but he's not leaving them alone. So he says this other advocate, and he says, verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Let's skip down to verses 25 to 27. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What, or better, who, is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not some mystical force. The Holy Spirit is not just pricks of our conscience. The Holy Spirit is not just the desires of our heart that are in line with God's will. The Holy Spirit is God. The very presence of God in every single person saved by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. Jesus wants them to know he's not leaving them as orphans. He's not a child, or I'm sorry, a parent abandoning a child. And this word could also be used as a a rabbi or a teacher abandoning their student when the work is left undone. He says, I'm not leaving you that way. Guys, you have not been abandoned by God. The church in the world today, just like the church in the world centuries ago, and the church in the world in the future, we are not alone and abandoned by God. We are not orphans. We have been given the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now, that word is very interesting, because turn back quickly to to the first part of chapter 14. We love this verse, don't we? Chapter 14, verse 2, my Father's house has many, what? Rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? That word in verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses here. We will come to them and make our home with them. It's the same word. It's not really a a house. It's not a room. It's, It's a little broader. It's dwelling place. It's just the, you know, kind of the home is where you hang your heart. It's that idea. It's, it's not a physical place, it's, it's home. Now in the first part, he's emphasizing one day we will go to be with God. In eternity, it will be home because God's presence is right there and we will go to be with him. But Jesus is emphasizing something a little different here. He's saying, but now your home is here because I am with you. God's presence has come to be with us. And wherever you are, if you're saved by Jesus Christ, the very presence of God is with you perfectly and eternally. You are never alone. Look at verse 16. He says more about who the Holy Spirit is. 
talks about an advocate. In verse 17, he calls him the, the spirit of truth. Later on, uh, in verse 26, again, the NIV uses the word advocate. Other translations use counselor, helper, comforter. This is actually a very difficult Greek word to sum up in one English word. We don't have a very good equivalent. This does have, and this is the way I think most people read it, it does have an element of someone who comes alongside you to encourage you, to help you, to, to help you go on. That, that counselor, counselor that you might go through or two when you're struggling with something and they give you, uh, you know, insight and wisdom, that friend that, hey, come on, we can go. It has that. But I fear, either in our English translations or more likely in more of our English thinking, uh, we've limited it to that. The Greek word actually has a much more technical definition of one who stands in your place in the court of law on your behalf. He is your advocate. He is your legal counselor. The Holy Spirit is the one who stands before God the Father through God the Son, and God the Spirit speaks up on your behalf and my behalf. This one is ours. They are saved. We are never alone. Never abandoned. Never, ever hopeless. He's called in verse 17, the Spirit of Truth. Do you remember John fourteen six? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. I'm the way and the truth and the life. This is not another truth. We have the truth of Jesus and the truth of the Holy Spirit. No, it's one truth. And the role of the Holy Spirit then is always to point to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth of our salvation through the cross and the resurrection. And John 14, 26 talks about the Spirit will be sent by the Father in the name of the Son and will teach us all things and will remind you, he's speaking to the disciples, of everything I have said to you. What's the role of the disciples when Jesus leaves? They are the ones that need to carry on the testimony, the witness of who Jesus is. And at this moment, they don't even know most of what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus says, no, no, I'm not leaving you alone. One is coming that will point you in the way of all truth. And I just picture John, one day when he's really old, and he's writing this gospel, And he's remembering when Jesus said that. And I just wonder if he got a little smile on his face. Thinking here he is 40, maybe 50 years after the fact. And he's remembering everything Jesus said. Because the Holy Spirit is bringing it to mind. It's one of the reasons we can have confidence in the word of God. Look at verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What is the peace that Jesus is talking about that he gives? Why is it so different from the world's peace? Because Jesus doesn't just say, well, do a good job. Shape up and you'll feel better. He doesn't say, here's 10 ways to a happy life. He says, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you my presence, the Holy Spirit. That's the peace that we have. To have peace in this troubled world, we need to know that God the Holy Spirit is with us always. We are never abandoned, never alone. Finally, quickly, the faith-fueling proof of peace. The faith-fueling proof of peace. If you want to be encouraged 
ignited in your faith in Jesus Christ, look to the resurrection of Jesus. Here they are in one of their darkest hours. But Jesus says in verse 18, I will come to you. In verse 19, he says, because I live, you also will live. Think about the peace that this gives. Do you ever wonder, am I going to make it? Will I make it through this moment? Is, is this struggle just going to go on? For Is this the end of me right here and I can't go on? Ask yourself another question. Did Jesus raise from the dead? You see, sometimes we ask the wrong questions and we get stuck there. Will this relationship be healed? Will I figure this out? Will I survive this? And those are good questions. They're important. But stop and say, did Jesus rise from the dead? And the answer to that question is always yes. And Jesus says, because he lives, they will live. Talk about peace that comes because of that. Jesus wanted to prepare them for this very dark time. So that when it happened, they would have something to focus on and believe that he was going to rise from the dead. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, he talks about the prince of darkness. In this moment when Jesus was going to the cross to hang on the cross and everything looked like it was lost, Jesus reminds them, God's got this. This is his plan all along. Don't give up. As of about 10 a.m. this morning, four boys have been brought out of that cave in Thailand. Four. They say the rescue operation might go on for the next two or three days. What about you? Have you been rescued? Or are you stuck in the darkness of sin? The, the, the lifeline is there. Jesus has come. The cross and the resurrection has, has occurred. The, the gospel is being shared with you today and, and I hope many other times. God loves you. He doesn't want to leave us stuck in that, that desperate situation. He's done everything possible. If you want peace, there is no greater lasting peace than knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today's the day. Come out of that cave. Be saved. Those boys that came out, as far as I know, were taken to a hospital. I believe they were put on a helicopter and taken to another hospital because they need help. They need their wounds tended to. They need their their nourishment brought back. They need to gain strength. God does an interesting thing. When he saves someone out of a dark situation, He says to them, now you are a rescuer in my name. I'm sending you back, but I will be with you always. You are a missionary if you're saved by Jesus Christ. You are a peace bringer, a peace declarer. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. You have the truth of God's word to guide you. You have the gospel at work in you in the relationship with fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Our peace overflows to others. Are we living in such a way that we demonstrate the peace of the gospel? And are we sharing this peace with others?
others. This peace comes in relationship with God through Christ. It comes through knowing that God is with us through the Holy Spirit. And it is fueled by the life-changing truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray we will have this peace in this troubled world.